Welcome to the Carbon Stations podcast, where we speak to some of the leading figures in the emerging carbon industry. Today, our very first guest is Hannes Junginger, CEO and co-founder of Carbon Future, one of the fastest growing carbon removal marketplaces at the moment. Uh, Hannes, it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, first off, could you please tell our audience a little bit more about yourself, your background, and ultimately what led you to found Carbon Future? Yeah, thanks, Violet, for, for having me. It's um, really a pleasure to participate in this podcast. And um, yeah, we met uh, before uh, when you interviewed me for the Carbon Herald. So also uh, thanks for all your work for the industry. Um, much appreciated and, and needed. Um, yeah, um, maybe a bit about myself. Uh, I didn't start my career in carbon removal because back, you know, back then when I started, there was no almost no industry. Um, I'm a mathematician by education. I have a broad professional background as financial engineer. I worked in risk management and trading um, in banks and as a consultant for banks. I also have experience in, in audit, in financial and regulatory audit for the financial industry. So um, a bit of um, yeah, financing instruments background, a bit of uh, a, a bit of yeah, how how can you instill trust in activities that uh, that need trust because they need to be financed. So that's my my background. And um, when I worked on when yeah I got more senior in my career, I worked on strategic and credit risk frameworks, and and I learned that environmental uh, risks are. Um, are key to address for companies. That was one angle uh, that brought me closer to um, to emission reduction strategies of companies. And the other angle was um, in 2000, end 2018, beginning of 2019, a friend of mine, Hans-Jörg Lerchenmüller, who was then also um, a co-founder and is now senior advisor to our firm, um, he approached me because um, he's coming from like renewable energies and climate tech startups um, all his uh, professional life. And uh, he started to, um, and, and yeah, I learned from him that emission reductions are no longer enough to mitigate the climate crisis and um, uh, prevent the worst effects of global warming. Um, so we, in addition, have to remove uh, CO2 from the atmosphere and store it safely for long term. And um, he started to look into different removal technologies and identified biochar as one of the promising and uh, fastest scaling technologies available already now. He invested in a company, looked deeper into business cases and realized these business cases only work out if we uh, finance and monetize the climate service that comes with the application of biochar in this case or in general, carbon removal has to be properly financed. And so he approached me and asked me if I could uh, not help set up a framework that recognizes the different nature of carbon removal as compared to emission reductions and emission avoidance, and especially also of durable carbon removal that comes at a higher cost um, as compared to um, what we call managed storage sites or managed things like um, like forests or soil organic carbon and and uh, with a with establishing instruments that properly characterize these solutions then make them also financeable and scalable in the end that was the starting point in 2019 and i started it together with my co-founder and cto matthias who is a brilliant software architect and modeler and um 
yeah, we did it a bit as an academic exercise in the very beginning and then realized uh, the big potential and the big need and decided to switch our careers and dedicate, dedicate our talent fully uh, to yeah, laying the foundations and, and especially the trust infrastructure foundations for the carbon removal industry. Yeah, and that was the starting point. We then founded the company January 2020, looked for first um, um, yeah, funding business angels, one, uh, one public, uh, um, public endowment we received, and then we kicked it off. That was the very early beginning. Yeah, can you can you tell us a little bit more about those uh, those very early days? Like, what were the main challenges that the company faced? And uh, you spoke a bit about funding. How how difficult was it to attract funding? Actually, and what did those first stages look like in general? I think in general, when you when you look at uh, the stories of uh, of startup founders, uh, there's no one size fits all. Everybody has their. Um, their individual um, stories and uh, and and also um, yeah you have uh, lucky uh, lucky encounters with with people who uh, who make a difference and really help you to realize um, what you envision or help you change uh, or or adapt uh, your ideas and and identify also silly ideas so. In, in the very early days, it was super important um, that we work closely together with leaders of the industry and um, yeah, some scientists who thought about carbon removal um, already a lot, and especially also people from the biochar industry that was already yeah at a certain stage of maturity back then. It has changed a lot and matured a lot since since 2019 to today. But we had some uh, leaders who, who helped us identify where the problems were. And uh, one very uh, um, important element was that we learned already in the first months that in order to create financing instruments, we coming from the finance, uh, finance industry thought about yeah, marketplace, um, reporting systems and, and, and that stuff. And uh, we, we learned from the from the people on the ground and that knew about the problems of actually moving physical carbon around and storing it somewhere that we need to make sure that the activities actually happen. So um, what we today call MRV or Digital Monitoring Reporting Verification, which is our core product, um, we already learned in 2019 that we need to build that. Um, so we have to know where the carbon is stored. So that is a, that was an I mean, in the first, when, when we really realized that we have to do it, with, that we have nothing in our hands if we don't have the MRV system in place, it was a bit of a shock because it was a totally new product we had to build in addition to like our certification framework, our, yeah, our workflows dedicated to a, to a marketplace. So um, that, that was a hard learning and um, yeah, and it was clear we need more funding, we need more time, we need to go more more deep into that. Um, but in the end, it it really sets us apart, and uh, I think we are the by far the first firm that that looked into digital MRV for uh, for durable carbon removal, which is a great advantage today. So that was one of the challenges. You also talked about funding. Um, we found some um, business angel in the in our own network, which was super lucky. 
And with the startup accelerator program, we all also got some some public funding. Case okay, was not not huge amounts, but it, it allowed my co-founder and myself to quit our jobs and to make sure that we can finance our families at least for a certain time. And so that was really lucky. And uh, uh, and then as we transitioned in, uh, towards a, a real startup company and look for VC financing, of course, they are totally new. Um, new types of challenges like how do you communicate how uh, what's how, how do you explain to a broader audience what you represent what what is monitoring reporting verification what is what is carbon removal how do you convince a venture capitalist that this will be also something that that can make people well, make rich people richer right so <laughs> that is well i mean there are a lot of lot of steps to um uh, uh, to a lot of hurdles to overcome um to to run a um a venture venture financed startup yeah but the early um the early days were um yeah are very individual and have been very individual on our side and very lucky and the 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 key was i think um, um individuals that uh, that were convinced we, um that we are doing the right thing and we are the right team and, and solving a, a big problem. Thank you. Speaking of MRVs, I remember last uh, we spoke several months ago, uh, we discussed different carbon removal approaches. And uh, you said back then that your biggest bet would be on uh, on biochar as the solution that's likely to scale the fastest. Do you still stand by that? Or um, has the situation changed perhaps? Uh, and the reason I'm asking is uh, the US government's recent $1.2 billion investment in director capture, uh, or DAC for short. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, first thing is like, we have a huge uh, um, challenge ahead of us. So we have to remove gigatons of CO2 from the atmosphere and store them some uh, at, at some safe place. So um, it is, pretty clear when you look at the potentials and the costs of the different uh, removal solutions and, and also the adequacy in terms of deployment regionally or um, um, in, in which circumstances that we will need um, all of these technologies or many of these technologies at least. And, and so having said that, we also have to deploy them on the timeline. So um, when we look at the at the short term, um, today we see that uh, the vast majority of actually delivered uh, durable carbon removal is biochar-based uh, carbon removal. That is, like I think, around ninety percent um, of the of the actual actual removed carbon, removed installed carbon is uh, is is biochar-based. And um, so, I still think it holds true that uh, that biochar is today the most important. Removal technology is the it is the one that is uh, best probed and it is already scaling. So we have a lot of data points. The te technology readiness level is um, yeah, decent. There are companies that have a high technology uh, readiness level and there are still a lot of innovations, of course. So I would still say um, today and tomorrow, biochar carbon removal is the most important and we can learn the most out of out of this because we are looking at real-world um, problems when we, for example, from an MRV perspective, we roll out our uh, our tools and we can really get feedback from, from actual projects. Then um, 
other biomass-based removal technologies, uh, like for example, VEX, bioenergy, carbon capture and storage, are of course also very important and closely related because um, biomass is the, the yeah, the cap or the photosynthesis is the is the capture part of um, of CDR, um, and and we already see projects uh, that are um, yeah around the investment final investment decision stage, and these projects are typically much larger than the individual and modular biochar projects. So I I expect in the coming years, a second half of the decade, um, um, a couple of BEX installations that will be like whales in the market, right? Really big. Um, so we will see steps in the delivery curves um, based on BEX uh, projects. And so we see there's a bucket that is bio-based, bio biomass-based removals, which will scale pretty soon. And then there are, for me, there are two other key technologies which are being rolled out now, direct air capture being one. Um, heavily subsidized and also with the need of heavy uh, subsidies because it's uh, it's it's big implementations so large scale industry projects that need hundreds of millions or if not billions of dollars for um, for the establishment of a proper and efficient backup with all the infrastructure around it the pipelines then and, and the storage side we, we also must not forget about the, the technology requirements on the storage side. And um, this this need um, big investments, and uh, they also have big challenges to overcome. It's not only deploying the technology; it's very much also the avail avail availability <clears throat> of renewable energy because DAC costs energy. I mean, they are more energy efficient and less energy efficient solutions, but basically, you need energy and. Um, and that is a, a huge hurdle on top of that. So it will take decades be, uh, before we can really uh, get in the in in a climate relevant many decades, I think, before we get in the climate relevant range. Having said that, it's still important. I'm very happy that to see these subsidies, um, and at the same time, I think um, state uh, states and other funders need to be. Um, aware of the fact that we need a portfolio and that direct air capture is not an alternative to massively reducing fossil emissions. And that is also a thing that worries me a bit when I see, um, when I see the developments and how some politicians uh, talk about these programs, these, uh, these subsidies and this new industry. Um, enhanced rock weathering is another, another, um, Another technology that is very promising and will be very important has a bit of different challenges as uh, those people who are deep into that know. And um, here is more on the on the yeah. There's we don't actually know how fast the weathering happens in specific situations. It's difficult to measure because it's an open system. Um, similar uh, similarly dif difficult to measure as or not as difficult but has similarities with ocean-based um, ocean-based technologies and so I expect that um, until these technologies can be really financed at scale especially when it comes to company actions or when when companies private actors want to finance these uh, activities we need a bit more research 
But I see all of these technologies important and scaling up, but in a different order and timeline. Yeah, uh, speaking of financing, uh, we can't avoid touching on the the criticism of, of carbon credits, uh, particularly in the light of the Guardian's investigation and, and fighting, findings about the amount of faulty credits. Um, it's caused a lot of heated discussion on the subject, and it's... Um, I think it's safe to say that it's planted uh, a lot of doubt in the power of the voluntary carbon market to accelerate climate action. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, personally, it disappoints me and I'm really sad about uh, the fact that uh, these projects fall short of their promises and, and plans and, and that um, that it puts so much uh, reputational um, damage or causes so much reputational damage on uh, on the industry and and also on many many actors that are um, with the, with the right intentions active in 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 that field. So I don't want to blame um, like people for like yeah. I mean, there are there are probably individuals who who did wrong. Most probably, otherwise it wouldn't have happened, right? But um, I think in principle we haven't um, we we have. Good and bad things in the in the in the voluntary carbon market. The one the good things are there are economic incentive schemes that um, that that help us to um, to reduce emissions um, at places where it's economically um, more more attractive to do so. So more bang for the buck. That is um, basically a, a good idea of the also of the Kyoto Protocol, which was obviously not only voluntary. Um, so that is that is a a good economic measure, and and at, when you look at carbon removal, a similar um, similar economic measure is needed to to subsidize the activities. So we need some um, financing instruments to pay for these activities, and and so if we just yeah blame the market to be ineffective and faulty and wrong and the wrong model. Um, that's throwing out the baby with a bathtub. So uh, we we should be aware that that it's a bit more tricky. Um, when I look at the um, my personal view, the root cause is <clears throat> when we when we look at carbon removal as an example, not not the emission avoidance and 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 these these activities that are have been under under scrutiny and uh, and and assessed to be yeah. Not delivering what they promised, but take for an, uh, as an example carbon removal, di direct air capture. You invest a lot in these activities, extract carbon. You have uh, energy costs. You have to deploy the um, the machinery, and you have to store uh, store the carbon somewhere. All cost, no benefit. So who benefits? It's the society overall, and it's future societies. So in order to um, to finance these activities, we we need to um, those who pay are not actually in some in the in the private market companies are not actually the ones that directly benefit. They might benefit on the marketing uh, on, on marketing side, brand building side, but of the actual activity, everybody and um, on on earth should benefit because it's climate protection. So how can we make instruments, create instruments that make make this uh, economic uh, these economic um, frameworks work. Usually, when you put something in the market, it's a it's a good that is 
that that be, uh, the customers benefit from directly, for example, to increase joy, comfort, or safety, or whatever. So mm. here's a bit different. So we have a we have an economic activity, or we have an activity that's economically not not directly valuable to the buyer. So in a normal capitalistic framework, you would try to reduce the cost of the good you are selling by whatever means. So that could be reducing the, the amount of CO2 you actually safely store and you just remove it and you don't store everything or whatever. You, you kind of kind of um, exaggerate uh, the, the value of, of your good and you diminish your costs. That is an econo the economics incentives are like that. So how can we counteract that? And I think there's two key two key um, measures we have. One is transparency, and the second one is accountability and a close chain of contracts. This is what we really have to bring in the system, and of course accompanied by by governance framework that um, that avoid adverse incentive, like by a separation of duties. So the standard setters should be different from those who benefit directly from from selling the credits, and that's the way to go, I think. And um, and we can just learn from these scandals and shortcomings and and uh, try to make it better at at uh, at any cost. Because if we in the in the carbon removal space, we are not per se protected from this. Because also here. People can exaggerate. We, may, we we see errors, and we really have to be diligent and improve. And that is why we we are also with Carbon Future building um, building this transparency and trust infrastructure to make it to make it efficient and and easy to um, to yeah to to establish controls and really make sure that the carbon is actually removed and people are, can be held accountable and so on. So I'm. I, let's learn from these uh, these in, uh, incidents and and just make it better and don't blame uh, people. Most of the people who, uh, who were um, involved, I think, had the, had good intentions. Speaking of um, of building infrastructure and a network, maybe uh, we've been following Carbon Futures progress over over the past few months, and we've seen the company forge a number of partnerships, most notably and most recently with uh, Puro Earth, which is a leading carbon removal standard and registry. And uh, uh, you also recently teamed up with Caesar, a platform for purchasing and management of negative emissions. Uh, we actually had the pleasure of interviewing Magnus, uh, the CEO, just recently, and we hope to have him as a guest on the podcast as well in the future. Um, but circling back to these partnerships, um, can you tell us more about what they look like and what they aim to achieve? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. One, wonderful. Thanks for following us and thanks for <laughs> thanks for looking into uh, in, into into that so so closely and directly. Um, yeah, I mean, carbon removal is a huge task and we can't do it alone, right? So we are we 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 provide like MRV uh, infrastructure, we do due diligence, we, we assess supplier projects and we uh, try to qualify uh, projects and we, uh, and we bring um, removal credits to companies. And we can't do it alone. We need the supplier projects that actually do the physical work. We need the standards that give us rules against we, uh, which we can, uh, can measure and quantify. And that's what Puro does. Oh, they are kind of the the um, yeah the the rule setters uh, those who who give us the um, 
strict uh, guidelines uh, what what we need to uh, or what our supplier projects need to need to deliver and and on the on the downstream side we need uh, we need buyers we need corporate buyers uh, that uh, that uh, want to engage in that market and, and finance it and uh, we are as an ecosystem infrastructure and we are following an ecosystem infrastructure approach and so we need partners to to deliver that with Puro Earth, it's really uh, Puro is an independent standard uh, in the voluntary carbon market, just like Vera or Gold Standard or Carbon Standards International. There are a couple, and um, and and for the different supplier uh, supplier projects out there globally, not not necessary. There's not necessarily one standard that's the best for each supplier project globally. So we need to be able to offer a range of uh, opportunities to uh, to go to the market. And um, Pura has done a, a great job in in um, like forwarding um, forwarding methodologies for durable carbon removals. And um, now that they are doubling down on being a standard and Leaving the marketplace side to others, so they are kind of they uh, they made this step to 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 separate the um, separate the uh, their their activities here and and be independent as a standard. So that opened the possibility for us to collaborate, and we are very happy about that. And I think they know a lot about uh, carbon removal, and they learned a lot. And uh, we have been com in competition on the marketplace side for a couple of years, and. So we know each other also quite well, and I think from both side, sides is now um, now a great moment to to join forces, especially uh, by um, adding our carbon future MRV plus, so the the, the trust layer um, uh, top of funnel, where we do due diligence and uh, and carbon removal tracking and collect all the data digitally, um, so that it's getting um, easier and. Uh, and more cost-efficient for the suppliers to adhere to all the rules and and also to to uh, to make it possible then for buyers to have to have a look through to to all the data. So that's a benefit for the partners of Puro. That's a it's a benefit for us uh, that we can jointly uh, address a broader part of the market. And with Caesar, it's a bit different. That's more the the, the companies uh, which we are servicing jointly here. Uh, Caesar has a broader offering. They are also offering emission avoidance credits. They are also offering um, short-lived or managed removals like uh, forestry credits or mangroves or so, which we don't. And many uh, companies uh, follow a portfolio approach here. They are not fully yet on um, durable carbon removals. I hope like the whole market shifts to durable carbon removals. But um, so... Uh, there, there are many companies out there who need a broader offering where we need to partner uh, with others that service these companies more holistically and, and sample would be Caesar. Makes sense? That? Yeah, it does. It does. And it actually um, uh, it sounds optimistic. Uh, and uh, so on that note, as a final question before we wrap up the episode, I um, like to ask perhaps if you have a message of hope let's say, with regards to the future of the, the voluntary carbon markets. Basically, how do you see things developing over the next couple of years? And do you believe there's still a fighting chance for the VCMs to bring about meaningful climate, climate impact? 
Okay, so my hope is actually a bit broader than only uh, to the VCM, but um, uh, when I answer this question specifically for the VCM, um, I would say the most important task uh, for the VCM is to, to probe and, and showcase uh, um, like processes and governance and, 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 and rules and, and um, certification schemes and, and, and all that, what we are doing, um, showcase and, and make, set the bar as high as possible uh, to force uh, um, regulated schemes to not fall short. So um, I think that is, that is the, 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 mo the, the sig most significant in impact the VCM can have. And when, when we look at it a bit more specifically, um, I think um, that the VCM will have a role also when the, when the regulatory market starts, because you know the regulatory markets typically start sector-specific, um, uh, region-specific, and, and they are also uh, like using certain elements of the VCM, so there will be an interplay between both, and I think it is a, it, it will, it is a, is a necessarily a highly growing sector, uh, also specifically to durable carbon removal, of course, we see um, a huge growth there. We see um, very, very promising um, developments in regulation, in particular on the uh, EU level with the, with the um, carbon removal certification framework, CRCF, which is about to be finalized, uh, w which is kind of the most, the, the, the most, most broadly uh, discussed framework for carbon removal ever. And uh, there's a lot of elements from the VCM uh, in this framework, and and we see we, we see direct air capture, we see bioenergy carbon capture and storage, we, we see biochar carbon removal covered there, and and I think um, I think there will be a, a a landscape where the VCM and the regulated markets complement each other, and I also hope, and I'm I'm also positive about that that the, the, the removal markets will play their role in mitigating the climate crisis and complement, hopefully, um, that we also will, uh, will be successful on, on reducing emissions because it's really, it's sad to see and, and terrifying to see that, that we as, as humans uh, do not uh, succeed at all by removing uh, or reducing emissions. Yes, yes, of course. Thanks so much, Hannes. Thank you for your insights, for your time. It was a genuine pleasure to have you here with us today as always thanks so much thank you Violet it was a pleasure if you enjoyed this episode of the Carbon Stations podcast and would like to hear more conversations like this please be sure to subscribe we really appreciate the support